this, these Sundays in Advent, in our preaching life together, we are pairing a psalm with a familiar story from the Gospels surrounding the Nativity of Christ. Today, pairing Psalm 85 with the Gospel lesson Andrew offered for your hearing. Psalm 85, hear the word of God. Lord, you are favorable to your land and you restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for the Lord will speak peace to God's people, to God's faithful, to those who turn to the Lord in their hearts. Surely God's salvation is at hand for those who fear the Lord, that God's glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before the Lord and make a path for God's steps. Here ends the reading of God's word. Some will remember hearing me tell of the time my peer group of pastors that gets together two times a year, that we were on a tour years ago of the Andrew Wyeth collection at the Brandywine Museum. The docent that day for our tour was the granddaughter of Andrew Wyeth. At one point, we were standing before a very familiar Wyeth painting called Master Bedroom. It's a simple picture that shows a sparse room with a window on the wall just on the other side of the bed. It's a four-post bed with a white cabled bedspread and a dog curled up and sleeping right in the nook formed by the pillows. And the fold of the spread tucked under. We have a print of the painting hanging in our house I always thought it was called Dog on a Bed. <laughs> but there in the museum, it was identified as Master Bedroom. Just as an aside, the only reason that I'm not showing you a picture with our technology of this painting is that I finished the sermon yesterday morning and didn't give staff time to get the copyright permission. 
but I'm sure you're familiar and you can see this painting in your mind's eye. As the granddaughter told us about the painting, she mentioned that she got a kick out of how critics and scholars and visitors tried to read so much into this simple painting, the location, the symbolism, the painter's motivation, the theme of the window and Wyeth's art, the importance of the dog in his life. And she laughed and shook her head and said, come on, it's just a dog on a bed. I figured I was half right when it came to the name of the painting. What I want you to notice, she continued, is the technique in watercolor. Notice the brush strokes, the use of color, and the use of negative space. And she directed our eyes toward the fringe of the bedspread. The dominant light color of the spread comes from the canvas itself, she said. What is painted here in the fringe is not the light-colored cords of material hanging off the spread. What is painted is the shadow of darkness, the empty space between the fringe. She was explaining that the color of the bedspread was actually the color of the blank canvas. And when you look closely at the original painting there in the museum, rather than a framed print reproduction hanging on your wall, you can actually see the brush strokes and the method that Wyeth's granddaughter described. And what the artist painted was not the bedspread, but the dark places that formed the folds in the spread and the space between the tassels hanging off the bottom. Think of the creative mind of the artist, she said, who could paint what's not there. An artist painting what is not there. I would like to invite you to join me in reflecting a bit this morning on Mary, the angel Gabriel, Elizabeth, and the psalmist, and seeing the glory that isn't there. Seeing the glory that isn't there. When Gabriel appears to Mary, the angel tells her two times that she is favored. Gabriel says it twice, but doesn't offer an explanation as to why or what it means. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. When Elizabeth sees Mary, she invokes a blessing three times. Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, Elizabeth proclaims. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed. The blessing comes from Elizabeth to Mary because Mary believed. Mary believed there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary believed what Gabriel told her. Mary believed what God said to her through the angel. Blessed is she that believed. And you remember that in her belief, she offers her song, the Magnificat. In her belief, Mary sings of the one who has done great things for her. 
In her belief, she sings of the world where the proud are scattered and the powerful made low and the lowly lifted up. In her belief, Mary sees a world that isn't there yet. In her belief, Mary sings of the mighty acts of God she can't see yet. Like an artist who paints what isn't there, Mary sees the glory of God that isn't there yet. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary's belief, in painting the glory of God that isn't there yet. The psalmist, with the same brush, paints a kingdom not yet seen. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for God will speak peace to God's people, to God's faithful, to those who turn to God in their hearts. Surely God's salvation is at hand for those who fear the Lord, that God's glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. The psalmist believing, claiming, holding on to the promise of God, that in the words of the prophet, that one day the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Seeing the glory that isn't there yet. In his book, Deep Memory, Exuberant Hope, Biblical theologian Walter Brueggemann argues that the church gathering week in and week out to experience the proclamation of the gospel is a subversive act in the world. A preacher called by God and called by the congregation one serves stands up week in and week out to offer a holy alternative to the version of reality that surrounds and dominates the listeners. Gospel proclamation points to another way of life in the world, Brueggemann writes, that is not only possible, but is uniquely mandated and validated by God. The proclamation of the gospel empowers a community of the followers of Jesus who are determined to practice their lives according to a different way of imagining. Put another way, a community determined to see and live and work toward a glory that isn't there yet. A key understanding for the preacher and the listeners week in and week out according to Brueggemann is that we believe an alternative world is possible. The old world is not a given. Another world is possible. In our imaginations, we listen and imagine differently and in our liberation, we entertain different realities not yet given, he writes. Different realities not yet given. It's not just in our imaginations, the theologian goes on. It's in our practice. We are only a few, Brueggemann says, but we are some. We can do little, but we can do something. And we begin to enact another world, and foolishly we enact an obedience to a daring claim, obedience to a possibility. 
We specialize in cold water and shared bread, Brueggemann writes, in welcome speech, hospitality, sharing, giving, compassion, caring, in small ways, setting the world afresh. You and I, we can begin to paint just a little of what isn't there. Not long ago, my wife Kathy was in the large and crowded waiting area of a local healthcare provider. And in that room, a member of the staff came from behind the counter to give some papers to a patient who was getting ready to depart after their appointment. The patient was a senior who didn't whisper and had trouble hearing. So despite all HIPAA rules about privacy, the entire room could hear the conversation. The departing patient was a bit flustered trying to get themselves ready to go and was trying to call a cab for a ride home. The young healthcare staff member suggested that maybe an Uber or Lyft would be cheaper and easier. And knowing that the patient would likely not know how, the young person offered, took her phone and offered to download the app and input the information and get things started in the patient's phone. It was all a bit clunky, and then the patient couldn't find the credit card and was getting more and more frustrated with themselves. Kathy watched as the staff person then picked up their own phone again and within seconds told the patient that a ride would be arriving in three minutes at the front door. The relieved patient pulled out some cash to reimburse the young person for the Uber, and the employee, of course, politely said, oh, no, 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 and helped the person get their things together and walk them out to the door to wait for the Uber. You forget these days, Kathy told me, how powerful it is to see someone being unexpectedly kind. In small ways, setting the world afresh, painting just a little of what isn't there. I once read a sermon from a preacher now long gone to glory who described his driving past a farm at the dawn of a new day. And I, the preacher wrote, wrote in this description of this dawn of a new day, quote, I saw a field so full of pumpkins that it looked like the sun had fallen and broken into smithereens. I saw a silo that was wearing a halo of birds. I saw the clouds of the night holding on to the dawn, and I saw long lines of gray trees already beginning to protect the hills that the winter winds have wounded. I couldn't tell you what that sermon was about. I don't remember anything else about that sermon except that imagery and the use of language. It stuck with me so I could go back in my office this week and find the quote. A field so full of pumpkins that it looked like the sun had fallen and broken into smithereens. 
What if the glory of God is sort of like that? Like the sun has fallen into the world and broken into smithereens. Little, little slices of God's glory all around. Advent is a time in the life of the discipleship, in the life of discipleship to remember that our Savior, the Christ child, is calling the body of Christ, that is Nassau Church, to practice our lives according to a different way of imagining. We are few, but we are some. We can do little, but we can do some. Our Savior, the Christ child, is calling each of us to join the angel Gabriel, Elizabeth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the psalmist in painting a kingdom that isn't there yet. Join them in believing that with God, nothing will be impossible. To see with them the glory of God that isn't there Yet, for in seeing, painting, and doing, each of us in our own lives, we can make known by God's grace the smithereens of God's glory. Thanks be to God.